0: Will you take your Bibles out, and let's turn to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, today we'll consider the deception of the false prophet. The deception of the false prophet. Revelation 13, we'll come to the end of the chapter, Lord willing, today. And then Brother Jared will bring the word next week how thankful I am to have men who can handle God's Word and give it faithfully and who care about it. And I hope you'll be back next week for that and in prayer for God's blessing in your life. Today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 13. We find ourselves in the midst of the story This is where we read through the Bible, come to Revelation 13, and are very thankful that Revelation 13 is not the last chapter in the book. And that is a point that we often need to remember. This is a chapter of the book. It is not the last chapter of the book, because Christ, the great champion, will come and reclaim the earth for himself and establish God's kingdom everywhere to his glory Brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's today consider the deception of the false prophet. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word, we ask that today we would be careful to examine our thoughts about you and make sure that what we think about you is in line with what you've said in your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give us steadfastness of heart, that you would give us peace Not because we live in the midst of peace, not because our days are filled with everything that equals peace, but many times despite the troubling times that we have each day, you allow us peace and blessing. And teach us why that ought to be the case. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I really enjoy doing is walking around the block usually with a book in hand and usually always looking for what neighbor is outside his house. And that's one of my prayers is that as I walk around the block, that I'll come in contact with people that I wouldn't normally see. I wouldn't normally find them outside their house. And many times the Lord answers that prayer. And I've been able to meet a lot of neighbors just because when I crossed their house, they were outside. And I believe in answer to prayer. But I've also found outside homes large dogs. Now, you need to know that I have been attacked by a couple large dogs before. It was just a matter of moments before their owner called them off me, but they had enough time to tear the knee of my pants and the sleeve of my shirt. And it was a situation that gets me a little bit nervous when I'm around big dogs. Well... As I look and as I walk around the block, I see a large dog, and then I see him run at me, I I kind of freeze for a moment. And you, you can understand that fear. Well, there are times in life that make us afraid, and we freeze in fear. Revelation 13 is a passage that is written to help us understand what to do in those cases of fear. But I think it's written in such a way that we might not expect. You see, this passage doesn't tell us that bad things won't happen. You know, sometimes that's what people tell you. Life will be fine. Don't worry. Bad things won't happen to good people. That's not what this text says. It tells us that terrible things are going to happen, that far surpass anything in history to date. Yet the way God has chosen to reveal this to us is meant to calm our fears. So as we go through this chapter, we see that 10 times it says it was given or it was allowed. And in many of those cases, it's what we call a divine passive. It's teaching us that God is allowing or authorizing certain things to happen. He is the sovereign God over all things, and at that time, He is still in control. We must never think that when things get bad, God must be on break, or maybe God is asleep. There are no moments in our life that go without His supervision, that go without His authorization. So we have looked at this chapter for two weeks already, and in those weeks, we saw the rise and the reach of, of Satan's champion, the Antichrist. We see in verse 1, he is the beast who rises out of the sea. Now, today we're going to consider the second half of the chapter. Look down at chapter 13, verse 11, where it deals with the beast rising out of the earth. So make sure to keep in mind two different beasts. The first is the Antichrist, and this is the false prophet. Now, in the Scripture reading today, you did not hear the name false prophet read, but this is who it is. He's only mentioned in this book, in the book of Revelation, and he's only mentioned in three other chapters in this book, chapter 16, verse 13, 19, verse 20, and 20, verse 10. And in those passages, he is called false prophet. So that's what I'm often going to refer to him today as, but I don't want you to be confused. This passage has two beasts. The first one's the Antichrist. The second is the false prophet. Today we'll consider the false prophet. So in chapters 12 and 13, to put it all together, we have three evil characters that are given to us. We have the dragon, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the earth. We have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Sometimes this has been called the unholy trinity. It's a poor copycat of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that as we study today, that Christ is going to reveal the false prophet and his work. And he does that before he comes, before he does his work. And that is to show us that the false prophet is authorized to deceive the world. He is authorized to deceive the world. And, in the, and even during that, I should say, Christ is in control of all of it. He's telling us about it. So let's consider three simple points this morning. The first is in verses 11 and 12, where we find that the false prophet will rally the world to worship the Antichrist. Another beast joins the first beast. And this false prophet is going to resemble the Antichrist. The second beast is like the first beast. So look at verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising. Out of the earth, it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So this beast is similar but different from the first beast. Like the first beast, it says that he rises up. Like the first beast, he has horns. Like the first beast, he speaks. But unlike the first beast, he rises from the earth instead of the sea. Unlike the first beast, he has two horns instead of ten. Like the first beast, his speech is mentioned, but he speaks like a dragon, not with blasphemous words. Now, young people, here's a question for you. How do dragons speak? Well, a helpful hint might be, we've already seen a dragon in chapter 12, and who is the dragon in chapter 12? Well, that was Satan. Satan. You remember how Satan spoke that ancient serpent in the Garden of Eden? That's how dragons speak. When dragons speak, they're crafty, they're smooth, they're convincing. And as we go through the rest of this chapter, that's what we're going to see is that the false prophet is convincing. He is a beast like the other one. The verse says, I saw another beast. I want you to know because perhaps I just I haven't said this point blank, but this does not mean that he is a real beast like the character Beast in Beauty and the Beast that some of you are aware of. Okay? This description is just like Daniel 7 where successive kingdoms and kingdoms are described as beasts. You say, well, why is that? Well, there is a perspective in view there. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees a vision of God enthroned. But remember back to Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And Young people, remember what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about? He dreamed about a statue made of gold and other precious metals. And that's man's perspective of kings. It's a perspective of man's greatness, of a king's greatness. But as God looks at the same characters, he looks at them and sees them as beasts. So here is another beast. It shows us that one day, mankind will look at the false prophet and say, what a great man. But God sees the beast as he sees his character. A wicked one. I saw another beast rise out of the earth. So the false prophet will resemble the Antichrist. Second, the false prophet promotes the Antichrist. Verse 12. This is where the second beast is going to support the first beast. There's a relationship between the two. Verse 12 says, It exercises all the authority of the first beast. Now what's that? Recover it in verses 7 and 8. That's where it says that the first beast had authority. Basically, it was universal. So this beast will have that authority. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So consider first the location of the false prophet before the Antichrist, and that points to him having a supportive role He is before the first beast, just as the Spirit of God is before the throne of God, Revelation 4, verse 5. So what we're going to begin to see is that this character is a poor copycat of the Spirit of God. His location is before the Antichrist, and his task is to point to the Antichrist and thereby support him. He promotes the worship of the Antichrist who is described again as someone who was slain. He gives us every indication that this person had died. Even so, the Spirit of God supports the work of Christ in the earth building His church. So you have different characters in this unholy trinity, and we see that one is supporting another one. The task of the false prophet is one world religion. That's why it says... He makes all the earth there to worship, to worship. This false prophet is a worship leader. and The problem is that he promotes someone who is not worthy of the worship that he's going to receive. So he's going to get the whole earth to worship the Antichrist. And our question has to be, how is the false prophet able to do that? I mean, that's a bold thing to say. The entire world will worship the beast? How is that? Well, the rest of the chapter is going to show us two ways that he will cause everyone to worship the beast. And the first is in verses 13 through 15. So we saw in verses 11 and 12 that the false prophet will rally the world to worship the beast, and now we learn how he's going to do that. Verses 13 through 15 tell us the false prophet will deceive the world so that they worship the Antichrist. And he's going to do that by performing miracles. When I talk about these miracles, I'm not talking about doing tricks like a magician. These are truly supernatural works, as we're going to study here. Look at verse 13. It tells us that the false prophet's going to perform mighty miracles. It it says, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth. In front of people. Now, young people, there's a reason why we go over so many stories in Sunday school. So hopefully, you're remembering one right now. You should be remembering Elijah the prophet and 450 prophets of Baal and the people of Israel on Mount Carmel. Remember, this was the great showdown where Elijah said to the people of Israel who had gathered there these words He said to them, How long? will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The Great question was, who are the people going to follow? Who is the true God? And if you think of it as a matter of public opinion, there is one prophet of God. There are 450 prophets of Baal. So we know where the public opinion was. We know where people would have been persuaded to to go. It sounds just like Christianity being outnumbered. But Elijah sets up a test, and you remember the test. He says this, You call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And we know how the story ends because fire fell down from heaven When Elijah called and it consumed his sacrifice. And that's the background that makes this mighty miracle that this false prophet can call down fire from heaven. It just makes it astounding. He will be able to do what the prophets of Baal couldn't do. He'll be able to do what it would seem would prove he serves the true God. They ought to worship the beast. So we see in verses 14 and 15, the false prophet will perform meaningful miracles. He's going to deceive by these signs. Look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. So just like was the case on Mount Carmel, where when the fire fell from heaven, everyone knew who the true God was. So now this false prophet is going to convince the people to worship the beast. The purpose of the miracle is not just to to make a show or to entertain, it's to deceive. And that is how this character is defined later in the book. Chapter 19, verse 20, "...the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived." This character is defined by the fact that he leads people astray by the miracles he performs. That is his calling card. And he's going to tell people to make an idol of the beast. Look at verse 14. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an idol for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Once again, we have it's stated that the beast was slain, and then he was raised, and that's parallel to Christ. That's a copycat of Christ. You look at verse 14, and it says, He's going to tell them to make idols. That's nothing new. That's not unique. We have an idol store on Main Street right here. As I'm guessing, there were idol stores in Asia Minor as well, where the churches were. There, are, there have been lots of idols for years. But when we come to verse 15... This is where everything changes. This is what baffles us. Look at verse 15. And the false prophet was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So the false prophet will have the power to animate the image. And that, as you read it, that sounds just like God breathing life into the dust in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And we should all know for certain, it would not be but by the power of God that God authorized him to do this because he could not give this kind of thing to the image without God allowing him to do so. So it's just breathtaking that he'll be able to do that. But secondly, this goes against what we find in Scripture. Throughout Scripture, like what we read today in the call to worship, Psalm 135, we hear that God does as he pleases. But the idols of the nations have mouths, but they cannot talk, ears, but they cannot hear, eyes, but they cannot speak. Throughout Scripture, God is proclaimed to be the true and living God by contrast to the dead impotent idols of the nations. But now an idol is authorized to speak. And you shake your head and say, How is, Why? why is that going to happen? Why would God allow that to happen? And we ought to reflect on, God is allowing something to happen that ought not be happening. Something that is going to deceive people. And it makes you think, those who have rejected him, he lets them have what they want, and so be deceived. Not only does this idol talk, it's able to execute judgment on those who refuse to worship. And that just boggles your mind. Before, idols couldn't do anything. And now they can execute judgment. And I guess the question then is, are you aware of anyone today who calls down fire from heaven in front of people? Or are you aware of anyone who has animated an idol so that the idol can speak and execute people? Well, No. And there's no such thing in church history either. And just so you know, that's the same answer that the, those in the Church of Asia Minor would have given. There was no prophet who was performing those kinds of miracles. But what we do have are false prophets that lead people astray today. There is a unique false prophet who will be very powerful one day, but today we have many false prophets who lead people astray. And that was the case in the church of Ephesus, you remember, because there were people in that church who proclaimed that they were apostles. And they would, if they could, have led the people astray. But what we remember then is that the elders of the church of Ephesus Having been warned by Paul in Acts chapter 20, there will be wolves who come in. They went back to the church, related the news. And the church of Ephesus thereafter tested people. Those who professed to be apostles, they found them to be false, Revelation 2.2 said, because the church of Ephesus was a vigilant church, and Christ commended them for being a vigilant church You all know about the metal detectors that we have to walk through in the airport. The church of Ephesus had a sort of spiritual metal detector. To say it plainly, they measured people by what the Scripture said. Not by how clever they were, not by how kind they were, not by how many followed them. They were very vigilant, and God commended them for that. And that's what we ought to be as well. There are false prophets all around us that is different than the one we're reading about, but the church must likewise be vigilant within the church. The false prophet will rally the world to worship the beast. That's the first point. He's going to do so by deceiving them with miracles. That's the second point. Now the third point, verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18 show us the false prophet will pressure the world to worship the Antichrist. Not only will he deceive them, but he's going to pressure them. He's going to mandate a mark. Look at verses 16 and 18. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, that's everybody, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So the false prophet will mandate an obvious mark, and that mark will be on all people. And people have had a lot of ideas of what this mark of the beast is. People say it's a computer chip, it's a vaccine, it's social distancing, right? Six feet in front, six feet behind, six to the side, 666, six, six, mark of the beast. Other people have said that this mark shows that the Antichrist was Nero. You say, well, how do you get to that? Well, if you give the letters in his name numbers, and you translate it from Latin, misspell it in Hebrew, add a title, and then convert it to Greek, then you get 666. Yeah, just in general, this whole idea of what this is going to be, it's really futile for us to try to figure out. We know from this passage that when the time comes, the mark is going to be obvious. The mark is going to identify those who follow and worship the Antichrist. So just as the Holy Spirit seals the saints, this mark on the forehead of the right hand will identify those who are deceived. And I I personally wonder something here, I guess. How can the whole world be computer chipped? Because that's a lot of money, that's a lot of technology, and a whole lot of third world countries. I don't know. Perhaps the mark is going to be something much simpler, like some of your past histories, because many of you are Roman Catholic in the past. On Ash Wednesday, you were marked on the forehead with ashes. A very simple thing, but you were marked could be that. I have no idea. But when it c- time comes, the people will know. And this mark is definitely not the main point of the text. Discerning what the mark is is not the main point. But knowing what the mark means is the people who are marked follow the Antichrist. Just like those who are branded out in the pasture are marked as owned. So these will be marked, that they are the Antichrist. So the false prophet is going to mandate a very obvious mark. Obvious. And the false prophet is going to mandate an essential mark. Look at verse 17, where he's going to control all business. All these people will be marked so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. We're all familiar with wholesale clubs like BJ's or Sam's Club or Costco. And you realize that in order to shop in those places, you need to have a membership card. You don't have the card, you can't shop there. Even so, one day, you must have the mark of the beast if you're going to buy and sell. If you're going to sell the products that you have, which some of us do, or if you're going to buy products you need, which all of us do. The bottom line is this. In the future, there is going to be food and supplies available, but only those with the mark will be able to get them. Those who follow Christ won't be able to get them. So think about this, dads. One day there will be a situation where fathers are faced with the decision of being faithful to Christ Or feeding their family. Because that's the choice. That will be one day. And that choice has actually already come up in church history. For example, in the land of England, 1662, the state required that all ministers consent to the common book of prayer and be ordained by the Church of England. Many people refused because of the wrong doctrines that the Church of England held. Because of that, 2,000 ministers are immediately put out of the pulpit. Their families are evicted from their homes. They have nothing. 2,000. People like John Bunyan and Richard Baxter would be among those people who were evicted from their pulpits. Later on, the Conventicle Act prohibited the assembly of any more than five people to worship. And if they transgressed that mandate, they were fined. And from what we can calculate... $25 25 to $30 million were paid out in fines to the state. If that weren't enough, the, church, the state later enacted the Five Mile Act, which mandated that ministers could not come within five miles of anyone they had pastored. Now, back then, five miles was a long ways. They didn't have cars. But what that meant is that a minister couldn't get help from people who would have helped him because he couldn't come within five miles of anyone he pastored. And what they did, they did for 26 years. And when they did that, they starved the church, and the Puritan era in England came to an end. The state starved the church. So it'll be one day that when you're required to have a mark to buy or sell, they're just going to starve the church. But let me encourage you because of a cross-reference to this very point. The false prophet will one day come, and that'll be a terrible situation that those people are in who will face it. But let's read about them. Revelation 20, verse 4. The Bible says, "...then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast..." Or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I enjoy walking around the block, but I do not enjoy when big dogs run at me. It makes me freeze, it makes me afraid. But then, all of a sudden, the dog stops, and I look at the sign in the front lawn that says, Invisible Fence, and I smile, and I have a moment of relief that the dog's not going to get me. Even so, one day, things are going to get terrible, and people are going to be tempted to fear and despair But evil is only going to be allowed so much leash. Yes, it may be, and in that time it certainly will be, that people will die for their faith. But that is only their body being destroyed. God is the one who holds their soul, and he promises them eternal life. And that's the same thing he held out to the churches in Asia Minor. Some of them would go to die. He promised them they would receive the crown of life. And that's the same thing the Lord tells us today. We ought to remain faithful to him. Even when times get very bad, we may lose our life, but God will grant us eternal life. Father, we ask that you will help us as we go through, at times, dark days, as the church faces more persecution, even of late in America, has been fined for worshiping together. Find lots and lots of money. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be steadfast. That we would be at peace because we trust in you. Even though all around would go the other way. Father, we are thankful that you have opened our eyes to who you are. And that in your grace you have made us your children and that one day you will bring us to yourself. And we hope for that day. Lord, come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.